Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Wow, good morning. It is a privilege and an honor and blessing to be here this morning. I never would have imagined I'd be preaching in front of Danny Aiken and the staff here at Southeastern. In all honesty, um, my decision to come here, it wasn't because I wanted to get another degree. Um, if you know anything about my history, my MDiv, it wasn't all done at Gordon-Conwell. <laughs> I actually went to six different schools before that. It was quite the journey, and uh, I never really saw the need to actually get an MDiv because the ministries that I served at seemed to be doing well. Uh, I was a very relational minister. I understood scripture fairly quickly. Uh, that might sound a bit arrogant, but when you understand the literature, when you read the word and it comes alive, right? Sometimes you get of the mode, why do I need to get my degree, <laughs> right? When, when I can speak it and when I can preach it and when I can teach it, why all the stodginess of an academic institution? But I would forget that I'm a pastor. And having that degree in hand, this might be speaking to some of you here this morning, it speaks that you actually know what you're talking about. And so it's very important if you're in a position of authority or if you're in a position of teaching in the world that we live in today, especially in an Asian American context, right, to actually have that piece of paper in hand. So one of the reasons I came to the school was hopefully, you know, to walk the stage one day. Um, I wasn't thinking I would actually preach from it. But to be in a place where you would be able to have more doors opened and more opportunities to teach and more opportunities to preach uh, to young ministers and to people who have received the call to go into full-time ministry. And that's my call, that's my passion. Where I am right now is a Korean church serving in an ethnic ministry, serving mostly second-generation Korean Americans. But hopefully, the reaches of that ministry will go far beyond a small suburb of northern Texas. The word this morning comes from the book of Ephesians. It should be up there. Um, if not, you can open your Bibles and follow along. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. 
Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you've given us your word. Lord God, so often we would say, would you speak to us? And I pray, God, the very first thing we do would be going to our Bibles. And we would dig into what your word speaks. Lord Jesus, I pray that every single student here, they would be, Lord God, first and foremost students of your word that in its entirety, Lord God, they would be exegetes. (laughs) They would be able to read it and really, really apply it, or not just to their personal lives, not just to their teachings, Lord, but when they interact with the world, when they hear about things that are going on in the world today, their hearts would break because they know your heart, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters overseas those that are struggling, the church in Afghanistan, persecuted Christians. We pray, God, that you would indeed provide, Lord, opportunities for them, even through this trial and tribulation, to make your name known. That many people, Lord God, that would not even consider it before would have their eyes open to the glory of who you are. Holy Spirit, we would ask you to move For we know, Lord God, that no work in ourselves could ever save us. No work that we do could ever save them. But your spirit moving, Lord Jesus. We pray that many, many, many souls would be saved in that area. And that people indeed would sing of the king in that land. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you for this morning. We ask that the word would speak. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you who have been here for a while, you know that seminary can be a difficult place. Studying late nights, at times handing in papers right at the deadline or even a little bit later, You kind of wonder sometimes if it's all worth it. It's a difficult place to be at times. But you're surrounded by people, and this might be one of the few times in your life where the majority of the people you sit next to, where the majority of the people you meet on a regular basis are madly in love with Jesus Christ. I pray that the relationships that you build here during your seminary years would be partnerships for kingdom agendas, that all you do together would be forging towards the heart of Christ for the nations. You have a privilege afforded to very few people in history. If you think of it this way, studying will not be easy, but it's what you're called to do. I pray your focus would be on the word, yes, but also realizing you're in a place, again, where you'll build those relationships with fellow students, with professors, who will pray you through difficult situations in your life. 
Because if you're called to go overseas as a missionary, if you're called to the local church, I guarantee you, you know, if you don't trust me, look at my hairline. (laughs) It will not be an easy journey. Paul reminds us of this time and time again. We can look at his context, but if you read his letters, I don't know how a prosperity gospel teacher can get that the focus is comfort. Read his letters. He's suffering, he's struggling, he's in chains. And yet he considers it joy. I pray we in our own hearts would have that same type of focus where we're not losing, where we're not taking our eyes out of what is not just right in front of us, but far in front of us. No matter how well your ministry goes here on this planet, it's not the ultimate goal. No matter how well we do, how successful our ministries are, how much they grow, that is not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is to be faithful where we are. We're obedient servants of Christ. And we have this message, not of ourselves, but the one that we are given. And here Paul is writing this for this reason. The first two chapters of Ephesians are one of the greatest theological expositions all the way from creation to salvation. A reminder time and time again that we are not saved by our own works or even the work of other people. It's by grace. Yes, we do have a part in it, our faith, but it is by grace. Many theologians would even argue that faith, that is what is given to us. Here at Southeastern, I know many of you come from all sorts of different theological backgrounds. But one thing that all of us need to consider when it comes to soteriology is that God is the mover, first and foremost. You know, whether or not we can um, resist the Spirit and whatnot, those are points of contention, yes. But we all need to realize it is the work of God. If it's the work of people, man's getting the glory. God is the one who gets the glory in this story. And I pray as you exegete the text, as you study Scripture, that would be on the forefront of your mind. This is working towards the glory of God. And he will not fail in his purposes. If this were up to any person, we're so fallible, we're so fallen, we're so fragile. A stray bullet could take us out. A, quote, traffic accident could end things very quickly. A bout with COVID The word of God will not fail. God's purpose in salvation will not fail. Paul here writes, for this reason, after giving this amazing exhortation, after giving this amazing exposition, remember, guess what? I've preached this faithfully, and for this reason, I'm suffering, I'm in prison. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. You would think, this is a man with great knowledge. This is a man with great revelation. Yet he finds himself in a dark, dirty, 
dangerous prison cell? Where is the prosperity? Where is the comfort? Where is the safety that so many preachers today are pursuing? If you read Scripture carefully, it's not there. The faithful men and women of God, what ends up happening to them? They struggle. And I pray when you struggle, you would not think, as Peter would say, something strange is happening. You would remain faithful to his call on your life. And even if you find yourself in a ministry where it's difficult, where it doesn't seem to be as fruitful as you thought it would be, you know you're gifted, some of you. Prepare for humility. No matter how strong you are, no matter how gifted you think you are, when the burden of ministry comes, you'll find out very quickly you're not that strong. It's real, people. My prayer for all of you would not be that, you know, you be world-class exegetes, although many of you will be, and all of you should work towards that. My prayer, especially for your generation, for those of you who are a bit younger, would be that you would be strong. It's not about safety. It's not about comfort. It's about being faithful. This is one of four prison epistles. Paul is no stranger to being an ambassador in chains. He's writing for the sake of you Gentiles. You have to remember the context of all of this. First century, <laughs> how far has this message gotten? How new is this to people outside of a Jewish circle? He's speaking to first-generation believers. And he's also speaking to people for the first time in history who know that they're God's people who are not Jewish. And so this is revolutionary. And I pray that we would keep this in mind as we go to the nations. That this message, it transcends culture, yet it is wrapped up in culture. It's a mystery. How is this going to be proclaimed? You kind of see where I'm going with this because it has to be a work of the Spirit. But practically, it will look different in whatever context you are sent to. We're part of this amazing, huge family. We're being brought in it together. And it's not just the Western family. I speak to you as an ethnic minister. It's a very diverse family. What goal are we working towards? We're not working towards creating a Western version of the church. And we're not working towards creating an Eastern version of the church. If you remember, every glimpse we get into heaven in Scripture, who's there? The nations are there, and we're all worshiping God together in our own tongue. The nations are still distinct. You can tell who they are. And yet we're worshiping the same God. Again, one of these paradox types of things in Scripture. It's all over the place, is it not? 
But the glimpses we get into heaven, we see this distinction of peoples, yet they're together. As we go, let's not forget we are sent to a distinct culture, but we're representing the same God everywhere we go. We cannot forget the identity of the people that we are sent to. That identity, will it be cast off? Will the culture be completely erased? No, as we speak, we speak in context, but we speak of the same God. We speak the same Scripture. So we exegete Scripture, be reminded we need to exegete culture. And for those of us who grew up as minorities here in the United States or for myself in Canada, thinking that way and understanding that, it really helps you in terms of your identity in Christ. You can't get around the fact that you grew up in a certain place. You have certain tendencies. Certain things help bring you closer to other people in heart. I think that's one of the reasons why ethnic churches do so well. There's a heart language, a soul language that you share with people that had that similar experience growing up or their parents or those types of things, unspoken things, nuances in communication. I pray we could learn that people in other cultures have this in order to reach them, that will help us. But if you're part of that, think about how God can use that to equip you with someone who goes. And here we are, we go. Paul continues in his letter, he would say, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already briefly written. Reminded that these people have heard these things before. They've heard them before. This administration, this dispensation, this law, this rule of order in the house of God. The words that should be spoken and followed according to grace, seasoned with grace as we interpret and as we conduct matters in God's household. They've heard this before, and he reminds them, this is not my message. It's been revealed. Revelation. Hold that thought of revelation. It's something the Spirit reveals. It's not because Paul is lofty in thought, although he is very lofty. The man's a genius. It's not because he has all of these accolades and, and titles, although he does. He knows his stuff. It's not because he has all this experience, although he does. The word he has is authoritative because it's been given to him by revelation. I pray we would consider that as we minister. Again, some of you will be faithful 
I pray all of you would be faithful wherever the Lord sends you. But just because you're faithful doesn't mean (laughs) your ministry will thrive. It doesn't mean the numbers will increase. It doesn't mean that, you know, revival fire will spark out of that place. But you can know when you're faithful, God is doing something. It's the work of God. We trust in his timing and in his authority. And here's kind of a side note that he's making. Don't forget that. You read Paul's letters, again, they're masterpieces. Don't get caught up in that. It's not Paul. It's the word of God. It's revelation. When we think about salvation, it's not because you're such a good friend, although you are. It's the spirit moving in the heart of the person that you're sent to. Revelation. What we have here is a mystery. Do you not see it? And Paul would continue, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been made, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets, the Scriptures. That is what is speaking. Paul doesn't want to keep this to himself. He wants people to understand. He, the whole reason for his learning, the whole reason for his experiences, the whole reason for his imprisonment, so that people would hear this faithfully. He really wants people to understand. Do you think Paul had that frustration like many of us might have had? Or you're sharing the gospel to someone and you think they're ready. You're like, oh, you know, I've been preparing a really long time and trying to get them to this place. And, you know, hopefully as someone of the opposite, not, not the opposite gender, because then it would be kind of creepy, right? But you're, you're getting into that place. And you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to share the gospel with them tonight and whatnot. And then you make this, the, the, the best presentation and you're like, yeah, I could come up to, in front of Danny Aiken in, 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 in chapel and present this and everybody will be saved. You're thinking that in your heart. You present it and they're like, Huh? What? (laughs) It's revelation. It's a work of the Spirit. Yes, we do need to know our stuff. Yes, God will use it. But salvation is by none other than Jesus Christ. It's by grace, through faith, we are saved. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift. It's given by God. Let's think of these things. So we read this, and here's what I'm troubled with. Sometimes we're in seminary. Some of us, some of you are brilliant. Actually, all of you are brilliant. <laughs> I can't say some of you on a, on a, in front of a crowd like this. Uh, you're here for a reason. <laughs> some of you are not. You know, just, just don't do that. But you, you come to the place, you're seeking to know God's word. All of you. And you're getting really good at it. And you know it. And some of you are like, oh, I'm going to go get my PhD and I'm going to get into this program and I'm going to write books and all this stuff. (laughs) It's a danger in education. Yeah, know your stuff. But have this heart, like Paul, even if it's going to take you down a total sidetracked road, you want to share 
You want to make known. You want to do everything you can to get up every opportunity you can to get into places. Never to lift your name up, but to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even knowing that it's a mystery. It's been revealed. We have scripture, yes. But not everybody gets it. Sometimes you'll be a faithful witness and you'll fall upon dead ears. But do not be discouraged. God still has a plan. All of you here have a great burden and a great responsibility. Your very being here, you do realize you have more education than 90% of the people on the planet. If you include history, if you include people way, way, way back then, all the way back to Paul's time, you have more education than 99.9% of people. You know the Word of God better. <laughs> Is that proper grammar? But you do. What are you going to do with that? Are we going to be afraid of suffering and taking a hard road? Or will we sit in our comfort? I challenge you seminarians. You're at a seminary that's a great commission seminary. The whole theme is go. It's an amazing place to be. And here's where the fate part comes in. Faith part comes in, not fate. <laughs> will you be faithful? It'll be difficult, but will you be faithful? Switching gears a little bit. And the reason I, I do this this morning is just sharing some personal struggle, but also giving some context. Again, any people group you're sent to, any church, even if it's an Anglo church, even if it's a you know, non-ethnic church or non-minority ministry or non-quote cross-cultural experience, we need to know the history. No matter how gifted you are, you're going into a particular situation that you know that you're missing a lot of knowledge about. When you read this generation's part, which was not made known to people in generations as it has been revealed now, I might be taking this a bit out of context. It's probably a mistake to do this in front of <laughs> seminary faculty. But think about this. There are people in the world that have not heard this message. Why are they still there? I'm going to pause for a second and think about that. Why are there still people, even here in North America, that have not heard this before? It hasn't been revealed to them yet. Let's be faithful. Sometimes I feel that God is not fair. But we need to trust that he's sovereign over all things and all things will come according to his time. But he'll use his people to get those things done. We need to be faithful. 
Your sitting on the couch or your missing assignment is not going to ruin history. God's much bigger than that. But he'll still use people. Let's be faithful. And not just the people groups that have not been spoken to before, but even within people groups. In 1995, Right, sociologist Helen Lee, she actually wrote an article for Christianity Today called The Silent Exodus. This mass wave of second generation, so children of immigrants, that were leaving the ethnic church. My studies, they're, honestly, they're all over the place. It's hard to do this because there's no real huge body of work on this. But some estimates of up to 90% of our youth left during the 90s and before, right after they're done with high school. That's ridiculous. On the low end, I found around 70%, but even that is pretty extreme. They have an entire generation growing up in church but never really hearing anything. Why? Because we know God is faithful. He will keep his people, will he not? We know that there are these first-generation Christians, uh, Koreans, you know, who, who, who were Christians in Korea. They would immigrate to North America and, and start these churches, and there are faithful witnesses within their community such that over 75% of Korean immigrants would become members of a church almost immediately upon arrival. What happened to their children? People trying to be faithful witnesses. During the season of COVID, we've seen much in our media, much in the news about, you know, Asian persecution and those types of things, or uh, a new sensitivity by a lot of Asian Americans to um, just passive remarks that might seem, you know, kind of on the side, but at its heart, we can say they're racist. And you have a lot of upheaval in our world today. Growing up as an Asian here in North America, in all honesty, has not been very easy. I'm actually pretty good at fist fighting. Do you know why? When I was a little kid, I got bullied all the time. My dad would see me come home, kind of bruised up and whatnot. He put me into martial arts. And I started fighting back. Won a few, lost a few. I think I have a winning record, <laughs> but, you know, the thing was, I grew up with almost this trauma of being a foreigner, and in places I tried to fit in, I had to be more, quote, white, and I rejected my own culture, but God called me as a minister to the Korean church, go figure, it's faithfulness. But when you look at Koreans, and this is not giving anyone here a pass, this is not giving myself a past, but our immigration history is actually very short. American history. We had many um, Chinese workers actually come through early on, but they were very different. They seemed very foreign. Exclusion acts were passed, 1882, documented in history were not only Chinese, but people from East Asia 
had to meet certain criteria, very high criteria, very high standards, or they would be rejected from immigration. What would that do? That would shut down most of immigration from Korea. You don't see many older, old Koreans here in North America that don't speak Korean fluently or even speak English well. Why is that so? Think about history. I have to fast forward to the Immigration Act. But 1965, Congress passes the Immigration Act, Immigration Reform Act, actually. What did this do? This actually opened up doors for immigration from East Asia. Why is that significant? Because any Asian you meet, 90% of the Asians you meet here in North America, they came after 1965. So the oldest of us who were born here, we're in our late 40s, early 50s. Right, we're the first generation that was born. I call them, in my dissertation, I say we're second generation because I want to give that generation of immigrants a pass and say they became Americans, they made the effort, we don't want to you know, deny them of that. But whatever your terminology, we're still very relatively new here. And so that kind of, oh, mysterious feeling is because we haven't been here that long, <laughs> right? And so don't feel too bad when you feel like, oh, it's kind of mysterious because we haven't been here that long. But we have major problems in our churches. Why? Because guys like me, everything we do is frontier ministry. We have no one to learn from because there hasn't been a generation before us. It's new. We're going through, and it's very difficult. My prayer for a school like this is we would start thinking about those things. Think about that context. The church I, I, I was at um, here in Raleigh, FKBC Raleigh, First Queen Baptist Church in Raleigh, we had something amazing going on there. It was definitely a work of the Spirit. I know because I left and things kept going. <laughs> I was foolish enough to think it was me. But I know not all ministries are like that. I know firsthand right now from, from leaving, the adventurous side of me always getting me into trouble. You know, God really blessed that ministry. Things started to happen, but that's rare. Most of us are struggling. It's not just because we don't have good pastors. I say that this morning to a majority non-Korean <laughs> congregation here. But whatever place you go to, you do realize if there's success, it's the work of the Spirit. And if you, quote, feel like things are failing and you're faithful, do not be discouraged. This is not your reward. Be faithful. Christianity exploded in Korea, if you look at the graph. So early on, from 1920 to 2000, sorry, to 2020, look at that crazy, look at that crazy graph. There's a few things going on here, and, and this is kind of where I want to wrap this up. But 1910 is when Korea was colonized by Japan. And so you had people 
in Korea, there were first generation, like a first wave of missionaries actually were sent to China. And the interesting thing was because China and Korea had such close relations, Korean merchants met missionaries in China and they brought back the gospel to Korea. And so there were a handful of, 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 of Christians, mostly in North Korea actually, because it's a lot closer to China, is it not? Well, it was all Korea at that point. But in the northern part of Korea, there were Christians there. There were groups of them. But what happened when Japan came and colonized? They were forced, often at death, to bow down in Shinto shrines. And yet, they were forced to give up their scriptures that weren't even in Korean yet. They were in Chinese. They didn't even have the scripture in their own language, but they're still trying to faithfully witness. And they do this like crazy. Why? Because to them, Christianity was doing something substantial. Christianity was saying to, this, to the emperor, you're not our master. We know who our master is. This world is not our final destination. We know where it is. And they were able to stand strong, not just with Korean pride to get them through, but knowing that this world is not all there is, yet God is using this world. And so the gospel, you see, in 1920-ish, 1930-ish, um, Koreans were liberated right at the end of World War II, and then just a few years later, what happens? The Korean War, more hardship comes. I'm saying this to you as a second-generation Korean-American or Korean-Canadian this morning, is we grew up with a lot of trauma. Those two million people on this peninsula would die, civilians. So 19% of the entire ethnic Korean population was wiped out in the Korean War. Not a single person of Korean descent was not affected by this. We're living the memories. My dad, he grew up, he, he survived the Jeju-do massacre. He grew up on an island. He went through the famine following the Korean War. And then he went to Vietnam. <laughs> Maybe it describes a little bit of my, my, my penchant for punishment. <laughs> but wherever, you know, the, the history of all that, you can't deny it. But I, I make that point for this. Look at the gospel. Look at how many people came to Christ after the Korean War. So look around that 1950-ish mark. See how it accelerates. People saw how in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of famine, in the midst of rebuilding, how real Christ is. Korea became the number two sending nation in the world, the small hermit nation. It's on the decline now, yes. But people who are acquainted with suffering, I believe they understand a little bit more intimately the heart of Christ for the nations. And so again, seminarians, how do you relate that to where you are? I can almost guarantee uh, 20 plus years of ministry, if not, again, pay attention to the hairline. 
You will endure suffering. You will endure hardship. We're heirs together in this. Here's the th- bringing it all back together. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together, heirs together. Uh, <laughs> I say heirs, maybe I'm literal. But heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, one body, shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And so you have all this, preaching to the Gentiles, preaching to particular contexts, but coming together as you go. You should be faithful in remembering these things. Yes, we're sent with this amazing message. Yes, we're sent with all this head knowledge of Scripture, biblical interpretation of Scripture, principles or whatnot, or hermeneutics. Let's apply that hermeneutics to culture, to peoples, and realize that God is bringing this all together under one banner, under his name. And the promise is not the prosperity of a nation. The promise is not the prosperity of a particular ministry or church. The promise is in Jesus Christ. And we will go with these things in mind. And again, you know, I'm, I stand up here just as a fellow wanderer, a fellow traveler. I've made so many mistakes in this life, yet God, for some reason, still continues to speak and use. Would you not be discouraged when the dark days come? When ministry is hard, would you continue forward? For those of you who he calls to different people groups or ethnic churches, I personally understand you're dealing with a double-edged sword. Not just with the whole intergenerational thing or things within that culture, but this whole intercultural thing. And it's hard. But be faithful. Be faithful. God's reminding me through my current season. You know, I've been in Flower Mound just over six months. We haven't seen too much growth. It feels really dry. What I'm used to is a vibrant ministry where people actually want to come. You know, over 100 you know, young adults, married couples on a Sunday morning, rock and praise team, all those types of things. That's not the norm. God's not calling all of us to be pastors of those mega churches or, quote, successful example model ministries. He's calling us to be faithful. I pray you would be faithful. Sometimes it takes a hard reminder, but as you struggle, know you are not alone. As you struggle, would you know at least for this period right now. Look around. You're surrounded by people who would journey through together. Would you build those relationships? Would you forge these partnerships during these years? And then in future years, as you go, 
when you struggle, right? Don't be don't be ashamed, don't be surprised. Think about Paul's life, even writing these letters, amazing stuff, but from a prison cell. Let us close with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that you continue to faithfully speak. And Lord Jesus, uh, we sing songs of what you've done and we cry out to you and we say we love you. We say we're willing to follow. But when we sing to know you in your sufferings, <laughs> so often we, 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 fall, we fall short. We don't want to think too much about, you know, where, where our world is at right now, but uh, I think the world today has made a God of, of comfort, well, made comfort a God. We know you are the God of comfort. But Lord Jesus, would we repent of that as the church? Would we repent of that as, as ministers if we've ever made it about prestige or success or safety or getting into a comfortable position or place. And would we just say, Lord Jesus, here we are. We're willing to follow. And God, this morning at chapel, just pray that the, the believers here, the ministers you have here, the students you have here, the professors you have here, they would be refreshed and renewed and know that you have them exactly where you want them and that they would walk faithfully day by day. Jesus Christ, we pray that you would continue to use the seminary for your glory, that everyone who would walk the stage to receive a degree, Lord Jesus, they would kind of know what they're getting themselves into. <laughs> they can't fully know yet, but they will go with expectation that you will work, you will speak, but also there would be periods and times There will be periods and times where there's desert and trials and tribulations. We pray that they would be faithful and know you are working regardless. We thank you for all these things, for we love you, we praise you, for it is in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.